You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm not optimistic because I think that we are necessarily entering an age of abundance or that it's not at all about technology. But, I mean, humans are really good problem solvers. We strive, we try, we fail a lot. But, I mean, I think that's my kind of basic assumption is humans, as a rule, don't give up. That was Amy Zalman. And if she's hopeful about tomorrow, well, that's good news. Amy is a renowned futurist. She helps companies and institutions anticipate trends and plan how the future could look. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Amy Zalman is president of Prescient, a consultancy she founded in 2017 to help organizations look ahead and strategize. Her clients include Fortune 500 firms, government agencies, and military organizations. She's also former president and CEO of the World Future Society and served as a chair at the National War College. And if you think her background is all data and algorithms, think again. She has an MFA in poetry, a discipline that's had a positive impact on her work. Listen and learn why Amy Zalman is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm speaking today with futurist Amy Zalman. Welcome, Amy. We're very much looking forward to our conversation with you. I'm happy to be here. Now, you're considered one of the foremost futurists. For the sake of our listeners who may not know, could you tell us exactly what does a futurist do? Is there a job description for a futurist? And how far ahead are you typically looking? 
Well, let me take those one by one. There is no job description. There are no formal credentialing requirements, although there are people who are trying to change that. All you have to do to become a futurist really is uh, put your name on a card and hang out a shingle. Lots of people call themselves futurists. But in this community um, of amazing, often, people uh, who, who call themselves uh, foresight professionals or futurists, people use all kinds of modalities, writing, public speaking, consulting, convening to do what they do. But um, typically, in one way or another, we share a few qualities um, in terms of the mindsets and frameworks and tools that we use. So I have my own spin on this, but I think it's shared with others. In one way or another, our objective is to help people understand the qualities of the future, potentially anticipate what's emerging now and what the future will look like if we don't intervene, and most hopefully what the future could look like, what the best future could look like. Um, if we decided in the present to act on it through decisions that we make today. And then there are all kinds of frameworks and tools, some of which are extremely simple. Lots of them you can draw on a napkin um, and some of which are complex predictive systems of the sort that, you know, do meteorology that help people get to the answers to those questions for themselves as individuals and in organizations. And how far ahead does a, uh, futurists typically look? People are doing all kinds of work. I have colleagues who are looking at very long spans of time. Um, I would say that people who who have aversion, whether it's inside of a a company or a government or, or externally, some sort of consulting function are today looking, they're looking where their clients want them to look or where their, right, where their stakeholders do. That means three to 15 or 20 years and closer to the shorter end of that. And that is because there's a lot of churn and change right now because of the nature of the way strategy is itself changing. So people do not look too far ahead while still feeling that they are looking into the future. And do most futurists look at a certain area? For example, you mentioned meteorologists weather or economic conditions. How does that work or is it the future generally? Once again, this is a really wide ranging career. And I think meteorologists would not, it's quite cool to think of them as, as a version of futurists. Um, but, but in this sort of consulting speaking space, some people have areas of expertise because there's so much to know. I know people who focus on education and even higher education specifically somebody who focuses on um, aging, somebody else who focuses on Gen Z and generational change. There are folks who work primarily in the area of policy and government. So as you can see, it's quite quite a range. It really depends. And then there are people who work in companies um, and so are are limited, of course, by their uh, what they do. Exactly. So what do you consider the greatest force or phenomena affecting our future? Or is there such a specific? Well, I, I tried to answer this question. <laughs> and and what I, I came up with, interestingly, because it's not really my thing, is that, you know, there are two ways that when people get to the greatest force or the biggest phenomenon, I, I 
thinking that a lot of people right now would answer, you know, environment and climate. I think there are two ways in which big changes happen. I mean, one are, are, is geological. So our move into the Anthropocene is big, and that encompasses what's happening in climate and in our natural environment and um, environmental systems. And the other is technological. The move over the course of the last 50 years into digital economies and now artificial intelligence and so forth. It seems to me that what is maybe actually true about now, and we won't know until somebody writes the history of today in 500 years, is that we are actually, actually in the early adolescence of the kind of profound systems change um, that happens when people look back and say, oh, yes, that was the age of discovery or, you know, that was the industrial age. Interesting. Now, you talk a lot about uh, the power of narrative. Can you explain why narrative is important or how you use it? Yes. We verifiably, say the cognitive scientists and neuroscientists, think in story. We're just walking around in sort of stories all day um, and, and sense-making and trying to put together what's happening. Um, we're not making it up. I was born into a, a set of stories, and I, I live in a set of contexts that, that tell me stories. And they're not just facts. They're not just truth. They're actually kind of causally linked accounts of why things happened. Um, and I'm always making sense of my world. And everybody is always making sense of their world um, s- sort of in the context of, of what they think is happening, of what they believe is their story. Um, and that drives our next behavior. Um, and so uh, there's a version of talking about this where I would talk about in the context of, of foresight, of futurism, the importance of stories is it demonstrates our capacity both to stay still and to change. I will act according to the story that I believe. Maybe this will clarify. If you look at social movements, basically large-scale social movements, they always start. I mean, I know that you work in, in the arena of some of these. They always start with somebody saying, we have to tell a different story. We have to revise the story that's been told. I don't, I don't feel that this is my story. Can you give us a, a concrete example about how you use, let's say, the personal narrative of where you are at a given point in your work? I recently gave a, a series of keynotes to another, to a women's group um, of people who are, all of them are in university administration. Um, and typically I give talks about emerging trends and I don't talk about myself at all. Mm-hmm. But I chose for them and they encouraged me to do so, to talk through the personal in order to explain foresight. So I told over the course of the talk, three stories about myself. One was called, I'm a huge success. The other was called, I'm a big failure. And the other one was, you know, my, my actual story of me. Um, and the point is, I'm sure you're gathering is they're all true. They're all facts. They're all dependent on my interpretive lens. And that's a very useful insight that's easy for people to turn on their organizations or their systems um, once they've worked through the personal level. So they get a point of reference, so to speak, that enables them to then extrapolate. So how, how does one become a futurist? What was your growing up like? Was there a time in your childhood or young adulthood when you said, this is what I'm going to do? No. <laughs> I'm no, not surprised to really, you know, No, I don't. I'm, I'd, be, I'd be amazing. I mean, I guess people grow up and want to be things like science fiction writers. No, I uh, wanted to be a poet. 
And for a while, I was. I have degrees in poetry, and I wrote. And then I decided I didn't really want um, what one might call the lifestyle um, of the poet. Um, but I, I did have a few things that influenced me and and are powerful for me now. Um, one, and I, I guess I say this a lot, but it is a, a version of North Star for me, is my own family's background. Um, I had a, a, a grandmother who um, came to the United States with her husband and my, my uncle, her first son, in 1940, basically fleeing war and, and I think some a small, very, very, very small apartment in Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, and the way that she told the story, which I've talked about at much more length in a TED Talk, is that she went to an American consul and she explained to him in French the ways in which she really was an American and she wanted to come here and she wanted to pay taxes. And he said yes. And, and they got on the very last boat leaving Europe um, before the end of World War II and came to New York. And the power of that to me when I interviewed her in my, in my late teens has been that if you can persuasively tell a story that somebody else understands, like the American dream, that you can actually solve a problem. Um, and, and she sort of catapulted herself into a future, into a language she didn't speak, and she persuaded someone else that she was part of a story that they could understand. So that's one. The other is I work around national security for more than a decade now and had um, the opportunity for a while to uh, be a chair of the National War College. I mean, my years around the federal government and in particular the Department of Defense gave me some insights into how profoundly challenging it is for what I call legacy institutions, institutions that were very successful in the past, that grew up in the 20th century to change, even when they are full of brilliant people who can diagnose and understand their problems. So this is an insight that I've taken with me. And then the third is when I worked uh, as the CEO of the World Future Society, met all these futurists, people who do that job description I talked about, I was very impressed by the power um, and the empowerment that people felt when they were introduced to really fairly simple ways of organizing their thoughts and their fears and their wishes and what they know and they don't know about the future in, in ways that help them um, objectify that and, and gain insight. Um, so I, I thought I would like to, I would like to be a part of that other people's empowerment for a while. So I, I decided to, to, to try it out. Well, that's very persuasive and in, in many ways, very concrete examples. I love the story of how your grandmother persuaded, I, I guess it was an immigration official, just based on her description of what she would do in the future in some ways. And then moving, trying to move bureaucracies that know they have to change and are not particularly adept at it. So this is, it's a far flung, uh, but a very important area, obviously. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time 
than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You did mention your love of poetry, but then you didn't want to do that, obviously, as something you would pursue every day in every way. But does poetry affect your work? I know you have an MFA. Does that impact your work or inform it in some way? I think so. Um, I mean, I have this idea that I'll be like a jazz musician and, you know, I will go toward, at the end of my life that it's really a good art for, you know, for for the old. Um, because you, you've got all this wisdom, but but that aside, um, I think thinking and po- so one of the things, strangely, that has stuck with me after all that literary study was that poetry is about the world, and and novels and sort of uh, uh, expository thinking and writing are kind of about the everyday, um, and somehow learning the craft of poetry gave me t- two things: an appreciation of of needing to um, be imaginative within constraints. Um, which I actually like. I think craft is an important concept in strategy and in foresight. Where are the constraints and how can you exploit those? Um, and the other is that somehow it's about building a poem which embeds its own rules for how it should be read as opposed to a, a novel or, or a newspaper article. It tells me something about one, how sort of knowledge and organizations can work and how learning can work. I tried, I'm not sure I was that successful at one point to distribute a poem by, uh, I'm sorry, an essay by a poet named A.R. Ammons, who has now passed away for some years, called A Poem is Like a Walk to Intelligence Officials in Among My Friends, because it was about how you gather information about your world without knowing exactly where you're going. So, so it informs me in these very subterranean but powerful ways. I don't use, you know, poems in my workshops or anything. But it certainly does uh, inform your craft, so to speak. Your firm, Prescient, I love the name, is women-led. 
Is is that significant? Does a, a woman's perspective help when one is a futurist, for example? Do you know, I I think that the the politic answer to this question is yes, of course. Um, but I I am beginning to to question why and how that is. Mm-hmm. Um and that is very impolitic. Um one is I I, I might believe deep in my you know, soul that, um, that, that power and position, um, are, are fundamentally kind of Trump, um, sort of are, I don't know, essential characteristics we're born with in certain circumstances. So that was a very fancy way of saying, you know, I'm not sure women behave or see so differently from men, depending on where they, where and who they are, um, at all times. Um, so I think that appreciating what is the distinct kind of histories that we each carry in our bodies or that we inherited are very important and clearly they're important. Um, and they make a difference in how the world treats us and, uh, the, the degree of privilege that we're granted. Um, but other than that, I, I do feel that the sort of diversity stuff is becoming quite essentialized just at the moment when I'm, you know, living and watching a generation after me, uh, be non-binary and, you know, they're throwing out these, these concepts that seem so basic and true, you know, right and left. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say what a woman is right now. But fundamentally, uh, really, seeing the importance of different perspectives and different experiences in terms of that broader understanding. What do your clients come to you for? How how does a, a company like Prescient operate for its clients? That's a great question. Um, everybody comes because they, one way or another, um, for whatever it is, because they have the feeling and the resources to validate that feeling that the future is somehow uncertain and that it will trip them up. Everybody comes at the point where you actually need strategy. They come when they, when they feel that something's not right. Um, and, and they are on the edge of understanding that if they keep doing things the way they've been doing them, their institution or organization will fail to thrive. Mm-hmm. Some people have a different form of clientele, but mine are often, they're trying to answer a question or inspire those questions, you know, internally about how they could look at the future differently, how they could really look at the present differently um, and, and understand what to do about the future differently. Yes. And I can see how that could be extremely useful. So given what's happening in our world right now, there are certainly a lot of challenges. Has that affected your outlook on the future? I mean, has it changed how you see the future? Um, I tend to be sort of fundamentally optimistic. Um, and I think this actually comes from, from somehow the poetry mindset as well. Um, not optimistic because I think that we are necessarily entering an age of abundance or that, you know, it's not at all about technology. Um, I mean, humans are really good problem solvers. Like we're, we, we are, you know, we're phenomenal. We're good. We strive, we try, we fail a lot. Um, but, but I mean, I think that's my kind of basic assumption is, um, humans as a rule kind of don't give up. Uh, 
I'm not sure that's a good answer to your question. Well, let me put it a different way, which is what gives you optimism or hope right now. Is it the ability of humans to function in the way you just described? Okay, well, when you make it pointed like that, <laughs> where obviously <laughs> there, are a lot of, there are a lot of points of failure that are, are extraordinary um, and, in, and in some ways, you know, just heartbreaking right now. But there are areas where, I, for example, I am incredibly moved by the way, just the amount of knowledge that has been created about how and why we behave the way we do. Um, over the course of my lifetime, I think that we are getting, you know, if there's some we in, in here, you know, that the, the species is, is getting some insight into how our brains work, um, into what our incentives are. And these, these don't in any way mean that we're going to have successes, um, in, you know, evaluating or judging or doing better, but, but they give us tools for, yeah, creating better systems. I'll leave it at that. Well, we'll leave it at that because we also sadly are out of time. This has been just an extremely fascinating conversation, Amy, and we thank you greatly for introducing us to the work of futurists. Thank you so much. Thank you. The future certainly looks brighter now that I've talked to Amy Zalman. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, Amy shows us how we can use what we love in every aspect of our lives. As a graduate student, she studied poetry and literature. That gave her a great tool, the ability to be imaginative within constraints, to ask, where are the constraints and how can we exploit them? Second, she tells how stories help us make sense of the world. Most large social movements, she says, start with somebody saying, we have to tell a different story. We have to revise the story that's been told. Finally, Amy's anecdote about her grandmother reinforces her point about the power of stories. Against the odds, her grandmother got her family out of Europe during World War II because she was able to persuade an American immigration official, that she would be a productive, tax-paying citizen. She told a story the official understood. And as Amy says, she catapulted herself into the future. Tune in next week to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. 
We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.